0: Readers Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Booklights, where we're shining a light on good books.
1: Why, hello everyone. If you're listening from the United States, happy Memorial Day. I hope you guys are staying safe. This is a weird holiday weekend this year. Most of us are staying inside and doing our part. Um, so anyway, everyone be safe wherever you are. And I'm so glad you're with us because today we have Stephen Parolini on. He is not only a fantastic writer, but he's also an amazing editor. And if you have not read him before, let me read his bio and we'll let you meet him. So Stephen Parolini is a full-time freelance editor and a writer who shares his small Colorado apartment with his granddaughter and an assortment of imaginary characters. He's the author of the novel Beautiful Sky, Beautiful Sky – Stolen Things, and the short story collection, Duck and Other Stories. You can find Steven on the web in two locations at once. While it sounds like alchemy, it's really just technology. You can find out more about his books at his website, steveparolini.com, and I did put a link to that on the Blog Talk site. So if you're listening live, go ahead and click over there. You can see all the books. And then, if you want to find out about his day job as a freelance editor, I did put a link to the Novel Doctor on Block Talk, so you can click that, too, and check that out. So, without any further delay, Stephen, are you there? I am here. All right. So glad to have you with us. And you're in Colorado, right? Middle of the country.
0: Middle? Well, I guess they call it sort of the, the West, which always was strange to me, but... It's in the middle of the West,
1: yeah, and how are things over there? Are you guys all pandemic locked down, or are you guys starting to come out?
0: um, there are some changes to the laws about you know what restaurants can open, what they can do. They're following fairly strict guidelines. I think I don't know, we stay home, so it's pretty easy to just order food in you know, or make our own Right. Like what we do, and we go outside, you yeah know, get that's- some air when we can, but. We like to be mask wearers here.
1: Yes, we are definitely mask wearers over here. I feel like as writers, you know, we've been training for this moment.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, both the isolation and the strangeness.
1: Yes, right? (laughs) So you have a new book out, Beautiful Sky, Beautiful Sky. Can you tell our listeners what it's about and why they need it now?
0: (laughs) Well. Why they need it now, because you would like to read. Uh, it's, it's a story essentially of uh, an intersection of two characters, well, three actually. The main character being uh, a high schooler, David Tinker, who's kind of a disaffected, sort of doesn't care anymore, senior, just wants to get out of school and be done. Has a bit of an attitude, he's a, he's a bit of a, he's the character we all knew in high school as the person who is kind of a bully, but too smart to be a bully. And uh, it's his story, and it's also the story of uh, a character who is his choir director, which comes into play about halfway through the book. And it's a story of sort of can you overcome your family of origin? That's kind of the bottom line of the story.
1: Do you find that's a theme in a lot of the things that you write, or was this something new for you to tap into?
0: Well, the theme that seems to recur in, in my writing is, is overcoming loss, which is a big part of this story too. Um, it's, for some reason, that's just where I live. I live in the melancholy. And so a lot Aww. of the, the characters <laughs> deal well. It's, you know, it's real life. And, and I think that as teenagers, and this goes, it's set in 1980. So it's a, technically a historical novel, which makes me feel very old. <laughs>
1: Um, oh, you made me feel old it, too, dude.
0: <laughs> I mean, I you know I graduated before then, so this is set after I actually graduated from high school, slightly. But uh, the you know it, I think teenagers are dealing with self and understanding who they are and, and trying to figure out the world around them, while also navigating their family of origin, their their future possibilities. There's so much going on, and then you know as we get older, I think that some of those same things. They never really go away; they just take different shape and so it's kind of a story and I think a lot of my stories are like this stories about coming of age and also growing older so they they sort of intersect in in a way and I think that's true of certainly the the short story collection and this one, and somewhat true of, of stolen things the last book
1: and in in this book um so I'm assuming that since there's a choir director, that is there a lot of music in the book?
0: Yeah, it's a very music centric, well centric isn't very, right music plays a big role in David's life. He's, a, he's in the choir. He chose it because it was an easy you know, an easy grade to graduate with. Take that, and give the credits he needs and graduate. But he's a great singer and he just doesn't really know it. You know, that self esteem thing comes in to play a lot through the story. Um, but in in the nineteen in 1980, there was a lot of you know significant musical occurrences. So yeah, it just seemed like right. a good time to set it. Music was interesting and changing dramatically during that time, and uh, yeah, there are a lot of musical references. In fact, I need to put together like a Spotify or an Apple Music list playlist so people can listen along as they read. It covers quite a variety from classical to uh, the rock of the day and everything in between.
1: That's so cool. Were you into choir when you
0: were in high school? I was. So you know, like most novels, there's some elements of truth from my story in there too.
1: Right. Uh-huh. Uh
0: huh. You know the the um, I was in choir, and I love music. I grew up with progressive rock. That was my thing. The Emerson, Lake and Palmer, Jet, the Genesis, and yes, and those those uh, bands were my my favorite. Which kind of makes sense because I grew up in a household that was very much into classical music and church music. And and there's some interesting similarities between those kinds, you know, you have that music is complex, just like human life Mm -hmm. is complex. And I think that's why I gravitated toward it.
1: Yeah, I love that. So when I was poking around on your website and looking at your books, it looks like you write, you do everything that publishers tell you not to that you need to pick a genre and stay there, but you seem to write a little bit of everything. And so I yeah, thought, I, you know, is there a genre you're thinking about that you haven't tried yet?
0: Um, I'm sure there are a lot. I, I have a, a list of, a list. I mean, I have a whole bunch of files scattered around my computer in various locations. I'll never be able to find again. Where I have book <laughs> ideas that were intended to be the next big thing that I write. I just write whatever feels like I want to write. I mean, the the first one was a, sort of by design. I wanted to write something because I work with a lot of freelance authors who self-publish, and I thought, well, I need to self-publish something so I understand more of what they go through in that process. So I wrote a short story, which turned into a novelette, and then more recently updated it to a novella it graduated got slightly larger with a couple more <laughs> chapters but the design and then i added some short stories to it and that was just to see kind of how it worked but it was a story about uh, that spanned a number of years in a, in a character's life of a strange occurrence that happens to him and how he sort of deals with it and really turns out to be something i enjoyed writing and so i want to write some more stories and i started the, the next one a few years later and uh, that came after reading Neil Gaiman's Ocean at the End of the Lane. I read that book and thought, I need to write again. It just inspired me to write. And so oh, I wrote it. that story, and uh, it was kind of somewhat, you know, magical realism is something that I I like to live in, but I don't know that I'm actually there. I write stories that could be, you know, fantastical. They could also mm-hmm. be just imagination that we don't know. And I kind of like that uncertainty in the, in the story, not knowing what's real, what's imagined, because that's kind of where we live. And certainly more so as we're locked down, too, where I'm doing a lot of stuff in our heads. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that's yeah. where, you know, I, I write whatever it's going to be. I don't, you know, I I've, I've chased traditional publishing a little bit with stolen things and also with this most recent one just to kind of test the water, see if there was interest. But I know I write for kind of a strange audience of people who are maybe young adults, maybe adults, maybe all of them. (laughs) I'm not very focused in in my marketing efforts. They're all over the place because I don't really want to limit it for one, but also it's not really written to one group. Yes, this protagonist of the current book is a high school kid, Let's say in 1980. So I mean, how many people who are high school kids they know anything about 1980? You know that right. probably is as much for the adult who lived through that as it is for the teenager who's that same age.
1: Right. Yeah. And and but you know that remind not to compare you to someone huge, but it reminds me of you know Stephen King, where there's these stories that are high school age kids or even younger but the story is definitely not for kids. It's for adults who remember being that age, you know?
0: Yeah. And I, you know, I, I follow the the characters. I I meet the characters usually first and then they tell me what the story is they want to tell. And for this one, it was actually an intersection of two completely different ideas. How they turned into a story. I I couldn't tell you, but they did. Uh, It was thinking back to high school days and, You know, a friend of mine who was in the choir who sort of inspired the main character. He was much nicer in real life than the character is in the book. But it was the beginning of an idea. Uh, Here's someone who didn't really really want to be in high school, was kind of always poking fun at people and had a bit of an attitude. And I wondered about what his home life might be. So I started to create a character inspired by him. And then on the other side of things, um, my dad, who... At the time, when I started writing this, was suffering from about the third or fourth year of, of dementia. The kind where mm-hmm. he has no short-term memory, plenty of long-term memory. You could ask him about right. his friends from family from long ago, he could tell you everything about him. He'd start singing songs, play the piano, whatever. But if you asked him what he said five minutes ago, he wouldn't remember. So we would drive up right. to his favorite restaurant, Red Lobster, and on the way there, he'd look out the window and he'd say, oh, what a beautiful sky. Have you ever seen such a beautiful sky? And then... Three minutes later, he'd look out as if seeing it for the brand new first time again. What a beautiful sky. And I thought, there's something almost hopeful in that. I mean, he, his dementia was very, mm-hmm. you know, positive. And he was a kind-hearted person. And that just played out in the way that he sort of repeated things. And so as my mom was struggling and taking care of him and trying to figure out, well, he just repeats himself all the time. What do we do? It's so frustrating. Said, well, yeah, I get that. You just have to endure it. But also consider then maybe he's, there's some joy in the fact that he can see this beautiful sky anew five six times on a drive 10 miles down the road right it's annoying <laughs> for us but for him it's this wonderful moment so i took right. that as sort of this inspiration for the title and the character who was not really inspired by my dad so much but just that one line the character came uh as a, you know you pull things from real life actual choir directors you knew and other people you knew and a lot of the imagined stuff and and those two characters came together and became the, the basis for the story. And then the other characters appeared as they were telling me the story. So that's how it came to be.
1: Oh, that's very cool. Well, I, um, I think you've already sort of told us, but I thought maybe you could give us a little more. But I, I always wonder when I meet writers who are also editors, which, which came first? It sounds like you were an editor first, and then you decided to write. But when you were – younger? Did you want to be a writer? And then you fell into editing? How did that all
0: happen for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was a a writer as a kid. I mean, we all have the dreams, but not all of us. But if you're any kind of a a bookish person, and I read tons of books growing up, you kind of want to write. I remember in high school, especially, I was writing for one of the honors English classes or something, and I wrote a story that was basically a ripoff of uh, the first few chapters of one of the Lord of the Rings stories. And that was You know, we start by emulating what we like to read. That's how that began. And I I had dreams early on of being a successful published author, and I maintained those dreams for a long time. However, you know, life goes on, and and there's a lot of hard work involved in that, and you sort of set the dream aside, like, well, maybe I'll get to that later because you have to Mm live your life. And and other people can find me. We do have to eat. I chose other things. There is that, yes. It's hard to eat paper. (laughs) (coughs) So... Yeah, so you know, I, I had the dream all along. I wrote here and there, short stories. I had some blogs and things that I would do where I would write, uh, but never really tried to write seriously, write a novel for a, a long time. And then I thought, well, maybe I should do this for real. And at that time, I'd already been an editor for a while. Uh, I got into editing, and I was doing that, learning that on the job too. Even that, I didn't have training for, but I, I learned it. And as I became an editor, I started to learn how stories and words were put together that made more sense. And so I sat down and started to write some books. And the first couple of attempts were were pretty awful. And I knew it, but I I did it anyway. And then the third one I sat down and I thought, well, what if I told the truth? Instead of just trying to write a story. And that's a different perspective that that made me wake up and say, well, okay, what does that look like? How do you tell the truth in in a novel? And that was sort of the the turning point for me. I wrote a, a novel sort of following some aspect of truth and and emotional story of relationships that weren't working and and all these kinds of things. And I didn't do anything with that. I set it aside. It wasn't good enough for that. But it did teach me a little bit about how to tell a story because as I've learned and often tell my writers that as a fiction writer, you have to tell the truth. You have to make something believable. As a nonfiction writer, you can just say whatever you want. You don't have to tell the truth. It's kind of ironic, but that's just the way it is. For a story (laughs) to be believable, it has to feel resonate as truth to you as the reader.
1: Yeah, otherwise you can't get the reader to suspend their disbelief. So like I write paranormals and I make sure that the normal part, the real part, is as real as possible down to the burrito because that makes it so (laughs) much easier to suspend your disbelief and go, wow, well, maybe werewolves do lives in Sedona. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, it's all, it really is about consistency of the world you create. If you're doing anything in the fantastical realm, y- you need to create a, a rule system that works from beginning to end and is consistent within itself and, and has costs for things. I mean, you know, I, I work with a lot of authors who write fantasy novels, and one of the biggest um, comments that I make, most common comments, is what's the cost for this magical power that this person is using? It's, There's no cost, then you might as well write the whole book in one sentence. The the hero wins the right. end. Right. Because there's there's mm-hmm. no stakes. And if there are no stakes, no one cares. So that's true in, in all fiction, but I think especially in sort of the, the supernatural kinds of fiction.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I was super lucky and I got to meet Ray Bradbury a couple of times before he passed away. And he used to always say that writing, because he dabbled in painting, poetry, you know, playwriting, He he did everything. But he used to say, that um, being a writer, a novel writer, was like the hardest thing in the world uh, as far as the arts go because he said, you know, I did my first painting and I would have never tried to sell it. And he said, but because they teach us in elementary school to write a complete sentence and we write a whole bunch of complete sentences and type the end, we think we did it, we wrote a book, let's get it published. And he said, and you're not a storyteller yet. And that really resonated with me because it's true. You have to write tons of just before you figure out how to be a storyteller. It's different than being able to be a writer. You know, we they teach us in school to write, but to tell a story, they don't teach us that. They teach us to write term papers, you know. So um, exactly. what you were saying yeah. about figuring out how to be a storyteller, is, is, it's a whole different set of tools, I think.
0: Yeah, and that's you know my role as an editor. When I play that role, which is most of the time, is to help writers discover that. And you know, I'm not just helping. I'm not, I'm not a. I'm not a, a, so much a detail-minded editor. I'm not doing copy editing. Copy editing. I'm doing the big picture stuff. So it's all developmental line editing to a degree as well. But that's all about helping the writer to see what what works, what doesn't. Uh, does this character seem real? Is this uh, action that's happening, believable. All of those things are really about storytelling. So they can write great sentences. And I've read some great books that are beautifully written that really don't tell much of a story.
1: Right.
0: And I've read some <laughs> right. great stories that have poorly written, you know, in, in terms of the writing skills, they weren't there, but the stories are brilliant. And so what do you, you know, there's going to be, a, I think, a, a market. And I hate that word because it's obviously we're turning into a commodity now, but if, that's what it is to a degree. Uh, mm-hmm. Those Some of those stories that are poorly written but have great stories sell ton. So it's not necessarily right. that you have to be the greatest writer in the world, but you do have to be a good storyteller. And I'm glad you mentioned mm-hmm. Ray Bradbury. That's my, my very favorite compliment that I've ever gotten from anybody was a friend of mine, Jenny Lawson, who's uh, an author of her own, quite successful in nonfiction to tourist humor. Uh, she's the ass online. She um, once said, you know what? my favorite authors are Steve the and ray bradbury. Now this is a, you know, one time thing she was <gasps> just talking to me, so it could have been a one up. But but that was like that's where I want to be.
1: Yeah. That's the kind of story right? I like to be.
0: So that's a, a nice compliment. Oh
1: my gosh, that's I mean, great. I don't
0: claim that that skill, but I certainly like that compliment. It was nice to hear.
1: Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> if you were going to be compared to anyone, yeah, Ray Bradbury, that's not bad.
0: You've uh, had tons <laughs> myself so i mean there may be some influences that's coming from having read because i think you do take on you know some of the traits of the authors that you read that's normal Mm -hmm. i think that's true in all the arts we start by the by copying and then eventually we learn our own style if we keep working at it and allowing ourselves to our own selves to get into what we're doing infuse itself into what we're doing whether that's painting or or music or, or writing
1: Right, right. Yeah, because you get someone who inspires you and you kind of emulate them until you find your own voice. And that takes a while.
0: It does. Yeah, the voice thing, some people get it right away and others it takes years.
1: Yeah, so true. And when you were on your, um, obviously your writing journey, you kind of detoured off into editing. But when you decided, okay, I'm going to write, I'm going to write a book and and self-publish it or or try to traditionally publish. Well, what did your journey look like because you're an editor so I know um other writers like me we picture that obviously you you wrote a perfect a perfect draft because you're an editor but how right. what did the right. journey look like for you did you <laughs> did you get other input
0: Well I wrote a perfect draft and and it was all done in just a matter of days. Actually, um reality, <laughs> it took uh, about three so years jealous. to write the last two books. Yeah, if only it were that true. Uh, as an editor, I was encouraged, and, and most people would say the same thing. Most writer teachers or writer, you know, consultants would say, "Write the book, get it done. Don't worry how horrible it is. It's supposed to be horrible. Your first draft is just getting it on the page. If there's nothing on the page, you can't edit it, and that's true. And I encourage right. writers to do that. And And it really helps to feel like you've accomplished something. You've got a book, it's done, there's 80,000 words and they're on the page. They may be all horrible, but at least it's there. I don't do that myself. I'd like to be able to, but I don't. I edit as I write. So, I mean, I may revisit the same chapter 4, 5, 6, 10, 20 times as I'm working (laughs) on it, just to make sure it's right. And that's not a necessarily healthy or efficient way to write. That's just the way I do it. So I you know, if that's the way you write and it works for you, I say go for it. But in in general, I would recommend you just write the book, get it done, then go back and put on the editor's hat and try to make <laughs> it better.
1: Right. <laughs> uh, so, so when you are not writing and editing, do you like do you? I I always ask people because we're stuck inside of, during the pandemic. Are there things that you like to binge watch on TV or do you binge read? What What do you do?
0: I don't binge read as much as I'd like to. I'd read. i I'd like to read, and the irony of this current situation is I used to read during all my lunch breaks. I'd go work at at a, at a Starbucks or at a coffee shop somewhere and then go to lunch, take an hour or two and read. That's where I read for fun. I read anything that I can get my hands on that's interesting. And so I get most of my reading done during lunch hours. And now I don't have that because I'm here staying at home with my granddaughter all the time. We don't have lunch breaks, we live right. together. So it's it, the reading is trickier. I watch lots of stuff. I mean, late at night when granddaughters in bed, I'll watch a show or two and I don't know what I've been watching lately. I try to watch a little bit of everything, you know, just see what's out there. I like the, I like the variety. I like good stories. I don't care about the genre. That's true with music too. I love music. So it's whatever song sounds good to me is is perfectly fine. It doesn't have to fit a mold, uh, you know? So I, I try to, Diversity is is key for me, and I do that with my editing, too. I I edit a variety of kinds of books. I choose to work with authors who have everything from literary kinds of fiction to women's fiction to science fiction to fantasy to paranormal, whatever, historical. I like that variety. It keeps my brain active and interested in in what I'm doing.
1: That's so cool. Do you ever take on a project and then think, okay, this is a little out of my – comfort zone do you do that to yourself on purpose is that is,
0: I have that well, I've done you? it on purpose a couple of times but always in those cases it's been because the book is so good okay. I've done plenty of work with first time authors and I'm happy to work with them because I know that they're still trying to figure out who they are and, and what this whole thing is this writing thing and, and in that case I may do a lot of more a lot more notes make a lot more notes in the in the margins of those offer a lot more teaching to the first-timers, but when I find something that's really well-written, I sometimes wonder, and we all, I think all have this, is that, you know, imposter syndrome, like, do I really know what I'm doing? And
1: can I do right. this?
0: Am I an editor? <laughs> and and I, I take on some of those because I want to stretch myself. I want to see what more I can find in this great work of fiction to make it better, and I usually do. I think there were a couple times in my almost 30-year career of this where I've taking on a project where I just wish I hadn't um, and that early on. You take on whatever you can because you have to pay the bills. I'm fortunate now that right. I can kind of pick and choose those that come to me and say, you know, will you work with me? I'll consider yes or no. I don't have to do as much now as I used to. So I'm more picky now, but I still pick a variety and I still pick lots of first time authors because I like that coaching element of, of the job, of mm-hmm. editor.
1: Right. And, and I wondered, too, about um, audio books. Do you listen to audiobooks? Because I found it during this pandemic I can only watch so much, you know, uh, binge watching of shows, and I write, so I'm sitting. So whenever I'm doing anything standing up, like folding laundry or shower or whatever, I have audiobooks going. And so I've been getting a lot of my reading done listening um, to audio books. You, do you enjoy audiobooks? Have you tried that out yet?
0: You know, I haven't. And, and one of the reasons is because I was reading plenty, you know, in my Kindle or whatever. I would take that wherever I go. Right. And now since I've had my granddaughter here full time, it's been four years now to take care of her. That, when I'm home, my attention has to be at least partly available to her, mostly available to her I most see. of the time because she's just here. Right. You know school now. It's like good luck listening to anything. <laughs> Cause you have to, I don't want to be (laughs) on the headphones or anything like that when she's around. So yeah, most of my time is spent, you know, playing with Legos and, and answering questions. (laughs) There's a thousand questions. (laughs) How
1: how old is your, is your granddaughter?
0: She's eight. And she's uh, actually in book five now of the Harry Potter series. She's quite a reader. (gasps) We've been reading together and now she's reading it pretty much on her own. And that's a tough one. That gets harder once you get that giant book, book five. So, um, but she tells me about it, you know, it's like, Papa, Papa, come here. And this last night I got this call. I was in the other room and said, what, what is it now? Is there a nightmare? <laughs> she was reading it in, in her book. Right. came in and she, she said, guess what? Ron is a prefect. So, you know, she's <laughs> excited about these little story elements. And she's a great reader. Um, and she wants to be, I think she'll do some writing too. She's a, a little writer and a musician and all the arts. So I'm encouraging those. So that's where my time goes during the day. And at the end of the day, if I've edited it all during the middle of that, there's just no energy left. Uh, You know, it takes Mm -hmm. a certain amount of creative energy to do parenting, obviously, but also the editing work that I do. And there's just, I think I run out by the end of the day. So I'm looking forward to a day when we have school again and I can use that time for the work, and then I'll have enough mental and emotional energy to do more writing.
1: Yeah, I can totally relate to that. My daughter is grown now, but she used to be, and she still is, a big reader. And I can recall one night I went up to check and see that she was asleep, and she had a tiny flashlight under her blanket. She was reading one of those, um, there was a series back then of diaries of of girls who, you know, were, they were fictional, but it was, you know, the diary of Cleopatra's sister and the diary of somebody who was on the Titanic and the, you know, all that. And she was reading the Titanic one at the time. And I opened the door and I said, it is way past bedtime. You need to put that book away. And she says, okay, sorry, mama. (laughs) I said, if I come back and I see you reading that book, you're going to lose, you're going to lose TV. And she (laughs) goes, And I start to close the door, and she goes, Mama? And I said, yeah. And she goes, how long would I lose TV? I'm like, okay, give me the book. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. Parenting backwards yeah. is what that is. <laughs> what?
1: Right, You're going to lose right. TV. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: and she's funny. like, well, how long would I lose it? That book was really good, apparently. <laughs> she was yeah. right near the end. <laughs> uh, so... We are rapidly running out of time, and I just wanted to know, how, how can readers get in touch with you? If they read Beautiful Sky, Beautiful Sky, and they want to know what's coming next from you, do you have a newsletter? Are you on social media? How can they get in touch with you?
0: Uh, I don't have a newsletter. I am on social media. At, uh, I'm on Twitter, at Doctor, And all of the information is available at the SteveParolini.com website or NovelDoctor.com. They're all connected.
1: All right. Well, thanks so much for being here today. It was great chatting with you, and good luck getting through this pandemic. I know people with with school-age children, this has been a huge challenge, so kudos to you.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you. I mean, it's been my pleasure. Thanks so much.
1: Yeah, thanks for being here, and we will talk to you soon. Good luck on that next book.
0: Thanks for joining us on Book Be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers.